Before we open our Bibles, I need to remind you, next Sunday is Christmas Eve. And on Christmas Eve Sunday, we have three special services. None of them are in the morning. If you show up next Sunday at 9 or 11, you will be by yourself. There will be a sign on the door saying, go away. (laughs) Come back at 2, 4, or 11. 2 in the afternoon, 4, there will be children's ministry at those services. And then 11 o'clock at night, kind of our late night service. So that's what's happening next Sunday. And I encourage you to recognize the fact that a vast multitude likes to come at 4 o'clock for some reason. I don't know why. So if you want to get a seat, you get better chance of getting a seat in the sanctuary at 2 or 11. All right? I'm just saying. That's the way it's going to be next Sunday. Right now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers will come and give you a Bible. We're going to open up in our Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, which means we're departing from our series in the seven traits. We're going to come back to that series in January and finish that up. This morning, we're preparing our hearts for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's like a wrestling match every year to to kind of really get in the zone where I go, yeah, this is Christmas. This is really about Jesus, you know? Um, there's just so much overload. There's so many distractions. There's so much activity. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of relational stuff. It all kind of piles up. And then at some point in all of that, I say, wait a minute, hang on. I've got to focus on Jesus. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to give you three pictures from one passage in Luke. Three pictures from one passage. And then I want you to take those three pictures and I want you to put them together in your heart and mind. And as you do, I want you to find the hope of Christ in your life this Christmas. I want you to find hope. Several years ago, my son gave me a super cool leather journal for a Christmas present. And um, I don't know if I've told you this before, but um, I've been getting more and more leather journals. You know, it's kind of like, what should we give the old guy? Let's give him a leather journal. I mean, maybe he's got something to say, you know, write it down, you know, for posterity or something. And so I'm getting these leather journals, and my son gave me this really nice leather journal, but I have this problem, that is, I get locked up. Every time I get a super cool leather journal, I just lock up, I get paralyzed, because I open it up, it has a nice leather, the super nice paper on the inside, and I grab my pen and I go, I can't write in this. What if I write something dumb? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Well, what do I say? Something stupid. Like, what if, I, what if I don't say the right thing in here? And so I just lock up. So I took this leather journal and I set it on my desk. And I just was staring at it for weeks. It was there. I'd be working. I'd look over. There it was. Blank. Empty. I'm locked up. I'm frozen about the journal. And then something happened one day. I like, had a breakthrough on one day. 
I had an inspiration. I said, I, I know what I'm going to write in this journal, and I just pulled the journal open, opened it up to page one, got my pen out, and I wrote on page one of the journal, and this is what I wrote, I choose to live in hope. And I'm telling you, it was a, it was a big moment in my life because I, I, you know, I broke out of my paralysis. But there was something that happened, and it really has been amazing because that phrase, I don't know why, it just came to me in that moment. I said, I have to write this down in this journal. I choose to live in hope. And you know what? No matter what follows in that journal, no matter what I write after that, it's okay. It doesn't matter if, there, if I make a record of my life and I have good days and bad days and I say great things and I say stupid things. It doesn't matter. Because leading the way is this truth, this commitment, this mindset. I choose to live in hope. So now it's a principle in my life. My kids and grandkids went on a trip. They went to Manila because my son-in-law, Joel, he grew up there as a missionary kid in Manila. And then afterwards, they actually went to Vietnam. They went to Hanoi. And they spent a few days in Hanoi. And I have pictures of my grandkids running around Hanoi. It's just blowing my mind. I'm going, I don't know if this is right. And they're over there, and they came back with a gift. And do you know what they gave me? A leather journal. <laughs> they did from Hanoi. No, and this one transcended my sons. This is the coolest leather journal I've ever seen. I mean, it is so awesome. It's from the Kong Cafe, of all things. And I just, and I told my granddaughter, I said, I'm totally locked up. Like, honey, I'm just, I'm locked up by this journal. This is the coolest journal ever. What if I write something stupid in here? Like, what if I say the wrong thing? And so I opened it up, and I got my pen out, and I wrote on page one, I choose to live in hope. So if you want to give me a gift, give me a leather journal. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's what's going to be on page one. Because after that, it's all okay. How do you make that choice? How do you live in that reality? I'm going to give you three pictures from one passage in the Gospel of Luke, we're preparing our hearts for Christmas, and we're making a choice to live in hope. It's not a random choice. You didn't pull it out of thin air. There's a reason for the hope. Here we go, Luke chapter 1. In verse 26, the birth of Jesus foretold to Mary. We'll read verses 36 through 38. And as I read the passage, I want you to watch carefully for the pictures. Watch for the picture of God that spills out onto the page. What do you see of God here? Let's watch for the picture of Mary. Who is Mary? What do we see? And then let's watch for the description of Jesus. Who is Jesus? How is he pictured? 
Luke 1, 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his king, of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, but how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, there it is. It's a great passage. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this passage, I get overwhelmed by the passage. I, I actually get overwhelmed by it. I read this passage and, and I think there's so much going on in this passage that um, I almost feel unsettled by it. You know, when I really take my time, I'm not talking about a Christmas card reading. These are verses that we're familiar with, so you get, Christmas card reading won't get you there. But if you do a deep dive, if you really apply your heart and your mind to the text and to what's being pictured here, it can kind of rattle you if you really think it through. I want to think of this passage in terms of three pictures. There's a picture of God, a picture of Mary, and there is a picture of Jesus. And it is in the combining of those three pictures that I find hope in my life. This is why I choose to live in hope. So here it is, picture number one. It's a picture of God, and I call it the picture of God most high. God most high. Now we're starting with God. We're not starting with Mary. When you read the passage, you go, well, this is about Mary and her experience. Yeah, it is, but don't go too fast. You got to pause for a minute and go, hang on. Where does it all start? Who starts the action? Who drives the action? Who's in charge here? Who's in control? Who's initiating everything? It's not Mary. It's actually God. 
And everything in the description of God in this paragraph is a picture of God's majesty. It's a picture of God's greatness. It is a picture of God most high. Let me draw your attention to three things. First of all, the angel. In verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So the first thing I want you to notice is the angel. It's the angel Gabriel who makes a lot of appearances on Christmas cards. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to get past the Christmas card reading of this, and I want you to think for a minute about the biblical revelation of angels. An angel always represents, it's it's a physical vision, or it's it's a vision of the unseen reality of God. The angel represents the power, the will, the presence, the holiness of God. And this is the way it is in the Bible, always with angels. The angel comes and announces the purpose and the plan of God, the power of God. That's the way it is with angels. The angel shows up, in essence, anytime you see an angel in the Bible, the, the hidden message is God's in charge and he's doing something here. That's the hidden message of angels. That is why in the Bible, anytime an angel shows up, people are terrified. The most common reaction to angels in the Bible is fear. It's fear, it's terror. And we've already seen it in the Gospel of Luke. It happened earlier in chapter 1. You can see it when the angel appeared to Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, in verses 11 and 12. There appeared to him, to Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But that's, the, that's always the response to seeing an angel of the Lord. We find out later it's Gabriel. Gabriel's on assignment. He's got this Christmas assignment thing that he's doing. And he keeps showing up and people are freaking out about it. And rightfully so. And Mary, when Mary sees and hears the message, it says, the first thing he says is she was troubled. Like she's troubled, she's stirred up. And not only that, I think she's afraid because then the angel says, don't be afraid. Why? Because that's always the response to the angel of the Lord. And so that angel is there to tell us of the majesty of God. Now, every year at Christmas, I find myself agitated by Christmas cards. Less so because people are sending less. Have you noticed that? Are you getting less Christmas cards in the mail? I mean, you get not exactly Christmas cards. Now what we have is people send postcards with pictures of themselves and their family. Which is not, I love it. I love it. It's like a nice picture of the family with the little thing at the end, you know, from our family to yours or Merry Christmas or something. I mean, it's the Instagram world that we live in now. So there's no longer these gilded Christmas cards with the angel of the Lord appearing, which means I'm far less agitated than I used to be. Because, I mean, and my wife would get so mad at me because I would go through the pile of Christmas cards and I'd go, no, the angel's wrong. No. No, this is wrong. <laughs> 
This is not the angel of the Lord. Too cute. <laughs> Too fluffy. This is wrong. And I would get it and I would launch into a sermon. She's like, just save it for Sunday. No, she never says that to me. <laughs> now they get it wrong. Please do not do a Christmas card reading of this story. The angel of the Lord represents the majesty and the glory of God. Secondly, I'd like to draw your attention to the title that is given of God. Did you see the title? It's actually used twice in the passage. Um, he says in verse 32, the angel says about Jesus, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And that title, most high. In verse 35, the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Most high. The most high is the way that God is depicted in this passage. It's, it's, it's by design. It's a grand view of God. God most high. So what's your picture of God? When I write in my journal, I choose to live in hope, I can tell you the reason I choose to live in hope is because of my view of God. It's because of who God is. How I see God. I see God as the most high. There is no one above him. He has all authority in heaven and in earth. That, that is my view of God. And this is the view that's being lifted up in this passage. But there's one other thing I'd like to show you here, and that is the power of God, which is put on display. The power of God. And Mary says, how can this be? How, how can I conceive a child? I'm, I'm a virgin. She's betrothed to Joseph. It's a year engagement, and she just does not see how this is going to happen. Listen to the answer that she is given in verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. In the, it's the sixth month with her who's called barren. For listen, nothing shall be impossible with God. Here's, here's where the story goes. It starts with an angel. It gives us the title of God, Most High. And then it, it shows the power of God. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, will come, in verse 35, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do you know that what's being given here is the language of God's power in creation? Can you see that? This is the language of God's power, the power of God in, in the creation of the world, this language takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God 
was hovering. The Spirit of God was overshadowing. It's the same exact concept. The Spirit of God was overshadowing that moment. And God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. Can you see what's happening in Luke? The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, the power of God the Creator is going to do a work that is beyond imagining, but nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for God Most High, our Maker, our Creator. You see, now, I used to make a mistake, and that is I used to try to figure out the science of the virgin birth. <laughs> you know, I mean, I wanted to figure it out. So I want to do the physics. Okay, like, no, so let's, let's just figure that out. <laughs> How did God do that, you know? I don't know if you've ever done this, but, you know, maybe pastors or theologians or geeks do stuff like this. Because I'm thinking, well, let's just imagine a cell <laughs> and the DNA. And here's, like, Mary's DNA, but it's only half of the DNA. And then God comes, and then God creates DNA, and then, and then my mind would just start spinning out of control. <laughs> it's like, and then I realized one day, I think I'm missing the point. You know, I really think I'm kind of missing the point. The point is, it's a miracle. <laughs> the point is, you can't figure it out, you know? No, I'm really smart, I'll figure it out. No, you can't figure it out. Because God Most High in the power of the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow and speak into existence a new creation that is the equivalent of the creation of the heavens and the earth in that moment. Now, that's a picture of God most high. That's amazing. It's astounding. But now we have to move right along. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this, but we're going to move right along because we want to get three pictures. And my next picture is the picture of Mary. And I call this the picture of Mary, don't get offended, Mary most low. Mary most low. What do we know about Mary? What's the picture given to us in the Gospel of Luke? of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here's what we know about Mary. Mary is young. She's young. She's betrothed. And in those days, you know, they were betrothed as young teenagers. Mary is young. Mary is poor. How do we know that Mary is poor? Well, Joseph and Mary, you know, when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus, there's, it's kind of like a sliding scale on the sacrifices. So if you're wealthy, you give this. If you're not, and then if you're at the lowest of the low on the sliding scale of sacrifices, you give a pigeon. What'd they give? Pigeon. Mary's young. Mary's dirt poor. Mary is rural. She's rural. She's from Galilee. She's from the Tulis. She's from nowhere unsophisticated, common, common. Did you know this? 
This is interesting. This is true, statistically true. In the first century, Mary was the most common name in Israel. The most common name of all names was Mary. This is common. This is as common as you get. What should we call her? Mary. Why? Everybody else is. I don't know. Let's call her Mary. What's happening here? Without power, without influence, without resources, the most common name, the most unimpressive point on the map of Israel. Now, I never really got this until 10 years ago. And for some reason, I was preparing a sermon and I was thinking about this and suddenly I had the weirdest image in my mind. And again, don't hate me for this, I'm just weird. But I had in my mind the image of the caveman who guards the entrance of Grants Pass, Oregon, came into my mind. How many people, they've taken it down. How many people here ever saw the caveman? Okay. A lot of the older people here. <laughs> they, they took the thing down. 18 feet tall. Neanderthal. Ugly. It was made by guys who manufactured fiberglass mufflers. This big, brooding Neanderthal with a club. Imagine my horror when I drove from Southern California and moved in 1978 from Los Angeles to Medford, and the first time I pulled into Grants Pass and saw the caveman. I'm like, honey, we're not in L.A. anymore. Like this, I don't know, but I'm afraid. I'm actually afraid. But then what I realized, I learned later, the caveman is there simply as a pointer to an even stranger place called Cave Junction. Cave Junction. How many people have been to Cave Junction? Drive through Cave Junction, you just keep driving. Just keep driving. I went through there a few years ago, and it brought it all back to me. Cave Junction. I'm thinking loggers, hippies, biker gangs, and meth labs, and the caves. Okay, it's a weird place. No offense if you're from there. <laughs> and suddenly, 10 years ago on Christmas, it just came into my mind. Mary is Cave Junction girl. That's who she is. She's Cave Junction girl. Now, a lot of people get all riled up about that. They're like, I can't believe you're saying that. Why would you say that? Because young, poor, rural, common, you know, they're just, there's something from a place that actually is derisive in Israel. They would say, can any good thing come from Nazareth? No. It was the butt of jokes. Okay, so this is Mary. You know, when people speak of the greatness of Mary in our day, it's not because Mary was so great in and of herself. It's because Mary was so low, but being low, she was the recipient of the amazing grace of God. She was the one that God came to. 
And even Mary herself recognized this, and she spoke of it. You can find it in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46. Mary said, it's called the Magnificat. It's the song of Mary after all of this is, is told to her. In 146, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble or the lowly estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Listen to the words of Mary. Mary will interpret for you what's happening. Let's let Mary be the interpreter. Mary says, people are going are, are gonna, to you know, call me blessed because God has come to me in my lowliness. And I've been touched by the grace of God, by the mercy of God in my lowliness. And that's the picture of Mary that's given to us in the gospel. And you know what's fascinating to me? Now, this is why this passage just kind of messes with me is because when I do a deep dive and I really pay attention, I see and I feel the great like contrast between God most high and Mary most low. You know, I just, I see the divide. I think you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to feel it. I think you're supposed to get this picture of God, most high, almighty, holy, majestic, nothing is impossible, spoke the world into creation, God, most high, and poor, young, rural, common Mary. And she's really low on the totem pole. Now, I want you to take those two pictures and put them together. So you put them together. When I write in my journal, I choose to live in hope, it's because I choose to put those two pictures together. I believe in God most high, and I believe that that God comes to those who are most low with his grace and his mercy, and his gospel, and his miracle power, and his salvation. So I believe that. Believe that. And that causes me to say, I will live my life in hope. Not because I just believe in hope. Not because I believe in myself. If I just hope enough, if I just hope enough. No. It's because I have this picture of God coming to Mary in her humanity. And all this is by design. Now you have two pictures, but what about the third? There's one more picture. Let's take a look at Jesus. What does it say about Jesus in this passage? We'll go back to our text and see what it tells us. In verse 30, the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Let's just look at what Jesus is called for a minute. Well, you'll call his name Jesus, right? But you know the word Jesus, the name Jesus means salvation, right? You know that? It means savior. It means God will save. Okay, so what is Jesus called in this passage? He's called Savior. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. So there's the next part. Savior and Son of God Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he's called king. He is savior. He is the son of God most high. He is a king who will reign forever. And in verse 35, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So I'm just, I'm just putting together words here. I'm just saying, what does it describe of Jesus? Jesus, Savior. Jesus, Son of God. Jesus, Everlasting King. Jesus, the Holy One. Who's Jesus? How do you see Jesus? You know, I skipped over a part. I love this. This week when I read this, this is the thing that, that got me the most. Verse 32, you know what the angel said? He's going to be great. <laughs> he will be great. It's the word mega. It's just mega, you know. It's like, I love that. He, he will be great. Okay, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. He's going to be all these things. Who is Jesus? Like when you put these pictures together, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God Most High, the Almighty. He's the Son of Mary, most low, most humble, most human. He's the Holy One of God, absolutely unique. There is none like him. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's a king who will rule forever in this world. So what do you believe about Jesus? When I write in my journal, I choose to live in hope. It's because of my view of God. It's because of my view of God most high. It's because of my view of God who comes to the lowly and the humble and the needy with his mercy and grace, it's because of my view of Jesus, Son of God and Son of Mary. Son of the Most High, Son of the Most Low. I'm just saying put the pictures together. I don't know how to do the math. I can't draw this for you on a flip chart. You're just going to have to just listen to the Word of God and go, well, what, does, what does that mean? What does that actually mean then? For us. See, this is great. Jesus, he's going to be great. He's going to be so great. And I hear it as an invitation. 
Why don't you just read this gospel and see how great he is? You want to see the Son of God and this Son of Mary, the Son of Man, he's called? You want to see him? You want to see his greatness? You just go ahead and read the gospel. What kind of greatness is this? Somebody was reading this passage and they said, well, we don't want a king. Haven't you ever heard of democracy? <laughs> like, we're into democracy here. We don't want a king. Saudi Arabia has a king. Who wants to go there? Right? Kings are no good. We want democracy. The only reason people don't want a king is because they never found a good one yet. They never found a great one yet. They never found a king like Jesus. You want to see a picture of King Jesus? You just go read the Gospel of Luke. Here comes your king, riding into Jerusalem, the Bible says, on the back of a young donkey, humble and lowly. There's your king. Want to see the Son of God? Well, there he is, hanging out with sinners. There he is, coming to the lowly. There he is, offering forgiveness to those who are bound in guilt. There he is, showering people with the love of God. There's your king. This is your king. This is the great Jesus, son of God and son of Mary, carrying his cross, walking to Calvary, stretching out his arms and giving his life for the sins of the world. There's your king. There's your God in human flesh. This is Jesus, and he's great. He's just great. When I say I choose to live in hope, it's because I think I'm beginning to understand the greatness of Jesus as Son of God and Son of Mary. I think I'm beginning to understand the greatness and the uniqueness of the gospel of Christ. When I see that God has come into the world to redeem the world, you know, in my studies, I've been studying different religions. I started several years ago, started on Islam. I've been working on Buddhism now because now we're in Southeast Asia. So I'm trying to understand all these religions. And the more I study other religions, the more I see the uniqueness of Christ. I mean, I just have to tell you. I see the greatness of Christ, the greatness of the gospel. I study Buddhism, and I hear this elaborate philosophy of the non-self, the non-Atman, the idea that what we need to do is we need to be released from this world of change and transience. We just need to be released from this creation somehow through mental gymnastics, meditation. And then I look at my Jesus and I say, you know, Jesus is God coming into the world, not so that we can escape the world, but so that he might redeem the world. Not so that you might say, I have no self. I have no self-identity. I'm being absorbed into the nirvana. Not so that you can do that, but so that you yourself, a beloved child of God, can be redeemed by Jesus, your king, and live forever in a new creation with him. Yeah, that's great stuff, man. That's great stuff. That's what I believe. And that's why I choose to live in hope. Now look at my journals don't have a lot in them. I mean, seriously, like I'm just, I just look at them and I go, I don't know. I don't know what to put in that. I'm not sure. 
In the back of my mind, I'm kind of, it's not really about me anyway, so can I just write about Jesus here? I don't have all the answers. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what the future holds. But I know this, I choose to live in hope every day. It's a choice. Look, it's a choice. What do you choose to live in? What's your choice? What's your perspective? Have you been robbed of hope? Have you been lied to? Have you had your hope taken away? Did somebody tell you, oh, you can't live in hope because of this, this, and this? It's not true. You can. You can make that choice. Live in hope because of Christ and the gospel. What's your view of God? What's your view of Jesus? This Christmas, I want you to work on this passage. Do a deep dive. Just go there. Pray. Who is God? Who is Mary? Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? Do I live in hope? And choose, because you can choose. You can make that choice. The gospel gives you the power to make that choice. I'm here to tell you, you can make that choice today. It's true. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Choose to put your hope, your faith, your trust in Jesus, Son of God, Son of Mary. Let's say a prayer as the worship team comes up. We love you, Lord. And we're moved by the beauty of the gospel, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you that you give us something grand, something enormous, something that is so magnificent that it is beyond description. We can only scratch the surface, Lord. And may your Holy Spirit, Lord, come and hover over our hearts and minds, overshadowing us and moving us to hope in Christ. Silence the other voices, Lord. Take from us, Lord, the weak and the shallow views of who you are, the weak and defeated views of this life and this world as if you're not around. And Lord, help us to take a stand in hope with Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.